0: So we pick up, let me read, and we'll go from proverb to proverb. Sometimes they're related, sometimes they're not, from the proverb to the next one to the next one. The rich man's wealth is his strong city, the destruction of the poor is their poverty. Um, So uh, it had been encouraging us up to this point to uh, work hard, and we've covered that last time. The... Proverb uh, verse 16, the labor of the righteous leads to life, the wages of the wicked to sin. So there is a sense in which we talked about physical work, but it is transitioning here that righteousness is life, wickedness is death. That's why in the book of Romans, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This isn't just some spiritual reality. This is a physical reality and it is not just a distinction between a spiritual reality and a physical reality. As I pointed out last time we were in the Proverbs, those who work physically hard will be physically rewarded those who work spiritually hard will be spiritually rewarded. Not that you can work hard enough for salvation. <clears throat> but also the intermingling of the two is inevitable and always will be there. That is, when they sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, it immediately sent shock waves, if you will, through the body causing it to die and the decaying process would happen physically. Spiritually, they died immediately. Uh, They knew that they were naked and they tried to cover themselves up the way that most religions cover themselves up with man's works. God had to teach them a lesson in the Garden of Eden that they cannot cover themselves up. They won't be covered enough. So he killed an animal Most likely, if we know the Bible and God, he would have killed a lamb, and then he would have covered Adam and Eve up um, as they were ashamed and naked. So when you are righteous, it brings spiritual life that has physical benefits as well. And then death ultimately came from sin itself. Verse 17, he who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. In the multitude of counsel, there is wisdom. How many times have we seen those people who, in their minds, they fall in love, you know, and uh, they don't listen to anyone, not even their friends, their closest friends start to get ignored. Ignored. You know, I don't think this relationship is good for you, and, and, you know, is that a bruise on your face, and all this stuff, and you're like, I fell, you know, he loves me, kind of nonsense. Um, and even some of the songs that we loved growing up in America, you probably never heard this song, a lot of our, the music doesn't come over, I don't know why Bob Marley did, but, um the one that she's in love with a boy. She's in love with a boy, and even if she has to run away, not did you guys hear that? She's gonna marry that boy one day. She's not listening to her parents. She's not listening to her uh, mom and dad or you know anyone in her life. Um, now, there is a sense in which we have the right before God to... Reject the counsel of our parents if our parents are giving us ungodly counsel, like living together with somebody who's not our husband, even bearing children together um, when they're not, you know, in the covenant of marriage, which is happening. We've talked about that extensively. But here it's talking about not receiving correction, not receiving wisdom. There are people around the world and in our church and in our friends. That we must listen to and it's the stubborn rebellious person who goes alone. The Bible talks about he who isolates himself, herself, seeks their own desires and rages against all sound judgment. That word raging is this word that has to do with this outward manifestation of the inward reality of anger and rebellion and hatred and and stuff like that do you remember the first martyr of the church was who stephen yes his sermon was so good so magnificent And you remember, Stephen is an unlearned man. Now, that doesn't mean he's not educated. It doesn't mean he's not knowledgeable. And it certainly doesn't mean that he doesn't have a high IQ. All things that can contribute to the work of the Lord, but is not the primary factor. The primary factor to contribute the work of the Lord is the power of the Holy Spirit upon us. And... um, which is also very interesting. you got to be careful when you desire the power of the Holy Spirit. When we start hearing the words power mentioned um, in 1 Corinthians, talking about uh, you know um, being the power of God. He uses uh, the weak things of this world to confound the wise and all this. Also, the verse above me that is... A wonderful verse, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power to be my witnesses, and you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you, sorry. You guys are seeing it, so I got to get it right. To be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. No, let me get it right. Give me another chance. And you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you to be a witness to me, which is an interesting thing, not for me, but to me. Uh, you walk with Jesus as the power of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the other most parts of the earth. It, It can become dangerous to desire the power of God because when we talk about the power of God, it ignites within us an immediate appeal because the greatest thing outside of seeking God that all humans of all time have ever sought is power. Ultimately, the love of money is a love of power. It, 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 the love of money is not in and of itself a desire for paper or a block of gold or a block of silver. It is the means by which we grow in power over other people. The ultimate, other than pride, wicked desires power. So when we hear about all this power that we can receive, it gives us an, an immediate appeal to the flesh. Oh, I can receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me. I want that power. It's like um, when that uh, gentleman was watching Paul heal people in the name of Jesus Christ. And um, they, you know, even the sons of Sceva, you remember there were some of them, and they were trying to... Do the healings that Paul was doing, cast out the demons that Paul was having the power in God to cast out. So they go up to a bunch of demons and, or some people with demons, and they try to cast them out. The demons begin talking to these sons of Sceva. You guys remember the story? And they, what a freaky horror movie! H o r r o r movie. Never mind. And these demons say, Jesus, we know. Paul, we know. But who do you think you are? Now, in other words, they desired the power of God for themselves, for personal selfish ambition, not for the glory of God. God's not going to pour out his spirit upon people who want the glory for themselves. So, this rebellion, this lack of hearing counsel, it's dangerous. It will destroy your life. Get people around you that will speak truth and speak wisdom, who've gone through it if All of your counsel is coming from all of your 18-year-old friends. That is not a good sign, and it won't produce good results, even if they are following God. You need to get wise counsel for your decisions. Um, Don't refuse correction. It'll cause you to go astray. Verse 18, whoever hides hatred has has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. Let me repeat that. This is a big one. Whoever hides hatred has lying lips and whoever spreads slander is a fool. Hatred is an interesting thing. It is very difficult. And this is is a phenomenon that I find fascinating personally. And I'm going to explain to you what it is. The Bible... Supports this phenomenon, and it's from the scriptures that has caused me to be fascinated with, and that is we have an incredible lack of ability to discern who we are. We are blinded. We are deceived. Uh, The Bible uses all kind of all kinds of synonymous terms. We grope in the dark. We walk in darkness. deceived blinded all these terms to describe our inability not to see things clearly and it's all through the scripture don't you find it interesting when you read the most the, the most awesome sermon ever preached and that is the sermon on the Mount, and he starts with the beatitude of blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of god and you sit there and you you know what my first question after a while of studying is: Everybody's poor in spirit. This is the natural state of every single human being who has been born since Adam. So why does it give a verse as if there are those who are not poor in spirit? Why does it say such things? Blessed are the poor in spirit. If you were to just read that, And not understand the rest of the Bible. And not understand the rest of the context of the Sermon on the Mount. You might suspect that it's saying there are some who are. And blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And then there are some who are not. And blessed are those who are. are, And cursed are those who are not poor in spirit. Um, and, And the distinction between the two gives us understanding about who some categories of humans are and other categories of humans that are not. That's not what it's doing at all. The idea is not that it changes the reality of who every single human being is, it changes the blessedness of those who recognize the condition of humanity, including their individual selves. It's very interesting to me, it's fascinating. It's fascinating, you know. Jordan Peterson, sorry. That's, it, I, I was gonna, never mind. I'm finding myself stopping to say the things that I'm thinking more the older I get. I almost just said a British cuss word. You guys know the word bloody is a British cuss word. He says it all the time, but he's Canadian, so he can. But it is fascinating. I just thought, because he always uses that word, think about even more of the fascinating reality of the Pharisees coming. These people are wicked. These guys, for hundreds of years, have destroyed people's lives through the religion of Judaism. Rather than receiving the Ten Commandments as the revelation of holiness in God's nature, yes, trying to fulfill it, but ultimately always coming up short, they created an entire religion through pride and selfish ambition, the exaltation of mankind, and the evolution of mankind that they could ascend to be holy enough to obey the Ten Commandments. And they put that kind of burden on all of their people. And it's easy, it can creep into churches really easy as well, even good churches. We've got to be careful that we draw lines between our ability to obey God in the flesh and then walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, not fulfilling the desires of the flesh. Very, very blurred lines there if you don't understand what, they, what, the, what the distinction is. And I got a point when it coming back to this verse, but... It's gonna take longer. But you remember, they those wicked men, hundreds of years of ab- abuse. In fact, over a millennia of abuse, a couple thousand years of abuse, oppression, religious tyranny, and they are self-righteous men. And they come to Jesus Christ, hanging out with publicans, tax collectors, and sinners, And they say, why do you hang out with publicans, tax collectors, and sinners? And you want, if you kind of jump, throw yourself into the narrative, the storyline, you want him to say, who do you think you are? You are as wicked as they are. You're a publican tax collector and sinner at heart. But he doesn't do that, does he? He said, I didn't come for the righteous, but I came for the unrighteous. The sick need a physician, not the well. And you sit there and you read something like that. And you're like, wow, why does he say that? And you guys know the truth of it. It's only those who recognize who they truly are can ever understand how much they need a Savior. How much they need Jesus Christ how much they need healing, how much they need an introspective light that can shine inside the darkness so that we can understand when there is hate. Because the reason I bring all that up, whoever hides hatred has lying lips. As I was meditating upon this verse today, I am of the opinion that most people who hate don't know they're hating. That's why they have lying lips. If you go up to somebody and say they have hatred, that is something very difficult for people to admit to, not because they're conscious of it and are lying about it, it's because they're not conscious of the hatred they have in their heart because they can't imagine themselves hating because it is such a wicked sin. So if you go up to somebody who's hating, and you say, do you have hate in your heart? I would guarantee you 999 people out of 1,000 will say no. But what is the manifestation of hate? What is the manifestation of resentment and bitterness? Well, one of the manifestations is given to us here. And whoever spreads slander is a fool. If you are a gossip and a slander, it is an indication of a very bitter soul and heart. Very interesting. My whole life, I did, didn't realize I had hate until I realized how much I slandered people. Because the opposite of hate is love. And even if somebody does you wrong and you love them, you're not going to slander them. Because love is in your heart. So what is the litmus test of all this? The point is, I believe that a lot more of us than we realize have hate in our hearts subconsciously. That's what I'm saying to you. That, That was the whole thing. We have subconscious hate we don't realize how vindictive hateful bitter resentful we really are and the reason for that we are very bad at judging who we are as i mentioned in the scripture we are very bad at understanding the estate and conscious consciously the estate of our hearts The estate of our minds, the current state, not 10 years ago, but right now. We're very bad at doing that. That's why the Bible always talks about sanctification, sanctification, sanctification. Now, don't worry. Don't sit there and be like, he's right. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I have subconscious hate. You know, don't, calm down. It's, it's all right. God's forgiving. Take it easy on yourself. I, I find people who truly love God deeply are always worried about their lack of love for God. How do we, what, what makes lying lips? It's because on the outward, we may treat people okay in front of them, but we become liars because we really dislike or we hate or we have bitterness, we have resentment. But here's one of the drills. Make it a practice not to slander people. And you will start to see, if you are aware of the slander, you'll be aware when you want to say it when you don't. And then you will start to shine the light inwardly uh, why you want to do that, why you're slandering these people, what's going on. And one of the reasons subconscious hate if you will, as we think about that, it can manifest not just because of so, um, one particular individual in the present, but that hate can manifest to all kinds of people who have not hurt you. So it's not just that you're slandering the person you hate, you can slander people that you think you love because you hated somebody else when you were a kid. It, The point is, hate in the heart ultimately gets manifested to everyone around you, including the ones you love. Hate corrodes the container it's carried in. It destroys you. So pride is a a cause of hate. Maybe you even had a good upbringing, but pride, you, you get really upset at people easily. Um, pain can be a cause of hate. Somebody wronged you, hurt you. Hate is just one of those sins that we are not that conscious of, not something we admit. You know, we think of these sins that are big. Sexual sin is a big issue. It's a problem. It's sinful. It's wrong. But we can easily identify it. A, um, a drunkenness, you know, drunkards who were walking around. We can easily identify it on the outward. But these, these heart sins of hate, division, those are the things that tend to be more accepted in church because they're so hard to identify. You know, somebody goes and slanders somebody and then they, we got to pray for them, you know. We got to pray. I'm telling you these things so you can pray for that person. Yeah, right. Division, hatred, disloyalty, resentment, a lack of kindness. These things, yeah, most of us are not walking the street drunk. In fact, probably nobody in this room right now walks the street drunk. I told you guys that story years ago. I'll tell you it again in case there's some People who don't remember it or you never heard it. I, I used to do prison ministry. In fact, we did for years. I, I, I did it for about four years and Joseph did it for about four years. We went every Thursday to the prison and we did Bible study with him. I was in there every Thursday for four years. Through my relationship with a few of the guys, some of them would come to church after they got out of prison. And one of those guys who was in that ministry got out of prison and came to Calvary Eldoret when we were very small back then. We were at Saito Center. You guys know Saito Center, that circle glass? That's where our church was for about a year. It was the smallest little things, not even the size of the stage. And we, we used to do these movie nights on Friday. We'd get together, we'd drink soda, we eat popcorn, we'd watch a movie, we'd do a little... Um, Fellowship time. and Well, that guy who had gotten out of prison, he was in prison for four years for a heinous crime. He was always serving at the church. Well, somebody came and they were a little drunk. They had been drinking, one of the members of our church. And I was already aware. But I'm used to that stuff, man. I grew up with that. I'm not going to kick the guy out. It's like, well, at least he came for the... let's. Let's be friends to him. and Well, that guy who got out of prison, he pulled me into the little children's ministry room. He says, he's drunk. Can you believe it? He's drunk. We got to kick him out. We got to kick him out. And, And I said, I would rather be drunk with the drunk guy than talking to you about the drunk guy. That's what I told him. That was probably not the best thing to say, but that's how I felt at the time. And we're talking, I said, you just got out of prison. What's the problem? You know, you're wicked too, just let's have grace. My point is this, why do we look at these sins as, okay, that's a sin, but we will carry around division, resentment, anger, bitterness, hatred, and we tolerate that in the church. We have got to get over it. And it is not a feeling. It is a manifestation of action that would show the opposite of what we feel so that we can demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ. So if you are struggling with hate, whether it's directed to an individual or you just hate because you're prideful or you've gone through pain in your life, make it a practice to not slander. Stop slandering people. Verse 19, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is a choice silver, the heart of the wicked is worthwhile. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. So I read those three Proverbs because they are all connected as one. It says, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lip is wise. This is not a prohibition against loquacious people. Loquacious is a nicer word than talkative. Um, I'm a talkative person. I don't believe I'm in sin because of it. Um, And I had to look up in the dictionary a nicer word because talkative always seemed like an insult when people told me that growing up. So I found a word that sounds sophisticated, loquacious. It means talkative. This isn't a prohibition against talkative people or talkativeness. This is simply saying those who do talk a lot are more likely to sin with their words in a general sense because most people cannot talk a lot without sinning. But it is not saying that there are those who can't talk a lot without sinning because right after that, it mentions that the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. So the idea is, there is a talkative person who has righteousness with their words and there are talkative people who have unrighteousness in the words and in general, the general sense is most people today who talk a lot don't have a lot to say. And even go back, going back to that verse to hatred and slander, you guys know the, to, the, 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 the term loose lips sink ships, right? You've heard that? Oh, cool. Loose lips sink ships. It's true. It's you know, not big lips sink ships. We'd be in, pro- tro- <laughs> we'd have problems in Africa. Loose lips sink ships. Was that too much? I, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can say that because I have big lips. Mine are as big as yours. In fact, to, to, to make you understand how justified I am in saying that, I was made fun of growing up because of my big lips. My nickname at home was liver lips. And then my mom, because she's a joker, said when Josh was born, his lips were the same size they are today. He just grew into them. And then she told people, even when I was grown, she says, I never had to get a babysitter for Josh. And they said, why? Because if you got his lips wet, you could stick him to the window and he'd still be there after he got back. So I know the pain, but big lips are beautiful, right? That was a free sermon. Let's get back to the Word of God. Loose lips sink ships. The idea is those who are filled with foolishness as they talk, and the more they talk, will be in sin. Those who are filled with wisdom as they talk, and the more they talk, is there, it's choice silver, it, it, it's valuable. So don't think this is a prohibition against talking. And, and there's confusion there. Let, let me put it this way, to, to bring it to modern culture. You should Some of the statistics of how education or our minds are progressing in the age of technology are completely staggering. For example, and people have proven this, and there's all kinds of articles and research done to prove this, a 16-year-old in the mid-1800s in uh, most countries around the world, and there there are isolated countries who did the statistics based on research of their own countries, so this may not be speaking for every country. But, anyways, an 18 year old in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, and you can go back um, every decade since Christ, excuse me, every century since Christ, are more likely on a large percentile to have a more sophisticated conversation than an 18 year old today in every country on the planet. And there's a lot of research done on these types of stuff. Interesting research. People can't talk nowadays. Technology has ruined our minds. Most people don't read. The type of um, um, oxycosins, or the type of, excuse me, um, what's that chemical released in the brain when something exciting happens? Dopamine. Dopamine, thank you. Dopamines are released when you see a snippet of an Instagram post if it was positive about you, especially views and all these dopamines. We're, we're addicted to dopamines. there's too much going around. But it is arbitrary, unsophisticated information we're receiving. Let me put it this way. If you were to read one Christian book a month, you would have, you, you would be on a higher level than over 90% of people around the world. You'll be more qualified to have a conversation. That's how much young people do not read nowadays. And not just young people, in fact, most people, they don't read. And I'm not talking about you have to read your textbook at university, I'm talking about extracurricular reading. Guys, you're not gonna have anything to contribute to the world if you don't read. Readers are leaders, you know that, right? Readers are leaders. And it's amazing, if you could just sit there, and of course the Bible has to be the number one book you're reading. If you're not reading your Bible, you have nothing good to talk about, really. But go beyond that, I mean, read about philosophy, history, history. When I get around people who know theology or philosophy or history or apologetics or geography, I'm not, geography's not the best for me, but the others, aren't those conversations so stimulating? Guys, don't you think it would help you get a wife if you could talk a little better about other things? Ladies, right? He comes up, he's like, what's up, what's up? up?" That's not going to do it for a sophisticated lady. It's not going to do it. You you sit there and say, hey, what did you, what do you think? Go up and ask somebody, what do you think the number one um, ideology that caused World War II or caused the Germans to want to kill the Jews? Ask somebody that question. Yes, <laughs> they're not. An 18-year-old today in Elderheads can be like, what? What are you talking about? Go go up and go up and, and ask somebody, say, what do you think of Francis Schaeffer's presuppositional work? What are you talking about? What do you think? The number one form of discipleship is in the world. And what does the Bible teach that it is? I mean, guys, people can't talk nowadays. They can't talk. Go ask Jonathan Edwards those questions. I mean, he was before World War II, but you know the other questions. Man, guys, he wrote 10,000 pages on the subject. Read them. You'll learn something. If you've not read, I mean, have you have you thought? Have you have you thought about whether Dietrich Bonhoeffer was right in trying to kill Adolf Hitler as a theologian and a pastor? There is debate surrounding this by hundreds of people. Where do you stand on the issue? I would have been right there trying to kill Adolf Hitler with him to be honest. But read about it. Have you read The Cost of Discipleship? Where you get that glorious quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer that says, salvation is for free, discipleship will cost you everything. Understand that it is not a prohibition against talking. It's that most people can't talk because they are not filled with knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom. so much guys most of our conversations are arbitrary surface superficial unweighty uninteresting for the person who is following after Christ who understands things And we don't got to be pompous, arrogant people who are growing in knowledge because real growing in knowledge is actually a gnosis in the Greek as it says grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The idea is you're growing closer to him and as you grow closer to him um, you are going to grow in humility but ultimately also you're going to be more valuable to the world in what you say. If you are not a reader I implore you become one from this day forward and forevermore. In fact, let's just, let's write down our vows that we are going to read for the rest of our life, like wedding vows. I will read, I will read. No, I won't make you do that. Because when I used to read this as a, a talkative young lad growing up, I used to. People used to quote this stuff to me. It's like, don't you know the Bible says? And back then, I probably was saying stupid things. But man, I've, I listened to three hours of, of a lecture today, talking about the Nephilim. Have you guys studied about the Nephilim? Transhumanism. It's fascinating. And the guy who was talking, he's one of the most talkative guys I've ever known. He talks so fast you can barely, uh, he can barely get the word out without hyperventilating. Chuck Missler, very interesting stuff. I'm glad that guy talks because of how much he knows. I am glad he talks because of how much he knows. There are a lot of people I'm not glad they talk a lot because they don't know a lot. So that's the principle, okay? If you know a lot and, and what you know a lot about is truth, talk. If you don't know a lot and you talk a lot, it would just you would look smarter if you didn't talk at all. That, that's wisdom. It's like, okay. If, if you're that person that's, that's like, I'm prepared never to read because I don't like it. At least promise you ain't going to talk a lot anymore. <laughs> that's, that's actually fair. That's fair. I think I'm trying to teach my kids, trying to teach my kids and they're smart, but they're kids. So I'm, I'm being gracious to them. I'm like, Hey, we got to have some more sophisticated conversation than 1800 questions about what we're doing today. And I'm probably at times impatient. I get it. It's not Layla. It's my other kids. I wouldn't talk about one of my kids while they're in the room. It's like, hey, yeah, uh, and, and something I have perceived is they just want to talk to dad sometimes. They don't know how to do it. So they're like, hey, what time are we leaving? They don't even necessarily care. They just rather have a conversation. So I'm like, all right. Now, one more logistical question for the century, please. I don't want to hear about it. But, but what did you learn in Sunday school? Let's have a serious conversation. And guys, I submit to you that for a godly woman, she is looking more, and because women are this way, because in some ways they're smarter than us, and they don't care about how how good you look. They do, but they don't care as great as they care about do you love the Lord and are you interesting? So go read a book. Guys, here's the advice, go read a book a good book, and then go talk to the lady about that book you read. But don't be preaching at her. Ask her questions about the things she's interested in too. Did I spend enough time on this? The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous, they feed people. Isn't it interesting, but fools die for lack of wisdom. That's what I'm talking about. Isn't it interesting that the Bible associates food as more than just the physical food that, we're, that we think about when it mentions food? Have you, ever, have you guys ever been like walking in the spirit and you're, and you're doing your devotions and you're reading your Bible and you're reading Christian books and then all of a sudden you, there's like a Holy Spirit God moment where you actually give the wisdom God's been teaching you to somebody else and then you watch it click into their eyes? You've done that, right? Isn't that cool? You're, you're like because you're talking because it's not prohibited, duh, duh, and 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 it just starts clicking, and the Holy Spirit starts helping you remember all the things you learn, and that person you talk to, it's like you're feeding their eyes. You're like, yes, that yes, Have, that's, has that happened to you? Has anybody been like, yes, that's it? Yes, that's it. Aren't those good moments? And it's not that you're trying to boast in yourself, they're good moments because you're sharing what Christ taught you. And and you're helping somebody else. It's like you're feeding them. You're feeding them. Guys, get some food so you can feed. Get some food so you can feed. That's a good line. Write that down. No, get some food that you can feed. And it's spiritual food spiritual food. The blessing of the Lord, verse 22, makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Riches go beyond just money. It goes beyond that. It's wisdom. It's the blessing of the Lord makes one rich. The Lord blesses us with other things besides money. To do evil is like a sport to a fool, but a man of understanding has wisdom. The fear of the Lord, or the fear of the wicked, will come upon him, and the desire of the righteous will be granted. We ultimately get what we desire. Think about that. We ultimately receive what we desire. There is a sense in which God, yes, in his sovereignty, um, has control over all things, but in his control and sovereignty, he'll allow people to have what they want. It's like, I'm telling you, no, I'm telling you, no, I'm telling you, no, this isn't good for you. Okay. You want it. You got it. I will allow you to have it. And on a deeper level of that same thought, that's why Adam and Eve were allowed to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He had to give them the option of doing it. So, the desire of the wicked will come upon them, the desire of the righteous will come upon them, but the desire of the wicked will bring death and destruction, the desire of Oh, the righteous will bring life and everlasting peace. Verse 25, when the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. So right there, everlasting peace. Guys, the, the righteous, their end comes in a few different ways. Or excuse me, the uh, unrighteous, because their end will come. The end of the righteous never happens. We will never have an end to righteousness, but there will be an end to wickedness. So the righteous will always go forward and the wicked will be stopped eventually. It's a cool thought. So a couple ways that the ways of the wicked will end. Number one is life itself. 80 years is, I think around, I could be wrong, I'm forgetting, but it's around 800,000 hours. It's not a long time. For me, I, 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 if I live to be 80, I'm, I'm halfway there. So I only got like 400 hours left. There will be an end to this. But because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to me, I will go on. So this end that comes upon the wicked, it comes upon the wicked and few ways, one of the ways is eventually they will die in their physical bodies and then they will face the judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says, uh, it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Right when we die, we're judged by Christ Jesus. So even those who are wicked in this life, they don't got much more time. The second way that the wicked will die, is God could judge them um, before the, the natural process of decay happens. He, could kill, he kills people. Um, remember uh, the Herod son, the king, which is Herod too, Herodias. He, he gets up and he's boasting and glorying in himself and God kills him right on the spot. He dies of worms. In fact, it's such a supernatural phenomenon that he dies right on the spot. Everybody watches it. God kills people. He, he judges people. He killed Nadab and Abihu right on the spot. The wicked, that ended. The uh, New Testament, uh, establishment of the church, God kills Ananias and Sapphira for lying. So the end of the wicked can come through natural processes. It can also come through an immediate judgment of God. Another way, I'll give you a third way, is when the end of the world happens. It's, God will clean wickedness completely and he will destroy this earth that is associated with wickedness and he will give us a new earth. But the way of the wicked is going to end one way or the other and it ends in many ways. Take hope, take, take some assurances in that because I can get so upset with things that are going on in the world and I know you do too. You who are in the medical, medical field and we all, all of us Christians should be upset about this but you in the medical field who are closer to it firsthand, aren't you upset over abortion? What goes on with the murder of babies? Oh, it makes me so angry. It makes me so upset to think that these innocent lives are being mutilated. I can't tell you how upset I get about governments. I can get really upset. The Kenyan government. I love Kenya. I love Kenyans. I, lo- I love this nation. I love the beauty of it. I love th- uh, of the, uh, the, the land. I love the Kenyan people. And then we hear about it one right after another, more money stolen. I'm getting tired of these guys stealing money. Aren't you? And then, I'm an American exceptionalist. I love America. And, and, and guys, I love Kenya as much as I love America, so don't get this next one. But America has been the greatest nation that's ever existed. Os Guinness, the great British theologian and sociologist, calls it the American experiment. No nation on earth ever gave power to its people. Never, it was, and, and now we don't have it anymore, so that sucks, but I've been so upset by it. These open elections that are completely transparent and free in 24 hours, and it ended. A, a, and I saw that I no longer mattered in my own country. My vote doesn't count anymore. It made me so angry. and. I I can start relating with you guys where the power completely is, it's just the governments now. And now we're closer because of it because it's like a Kenyan nation in America. And and I'm thinking, these people, when are they going to stop? And then you think, okay, an indictment is coming. I am over-believing that some of these people are gonna get put in jail. But I know through the scripture that their days are numbered. And one day their wicked reigns will end. And I'm happy about it. I want them to get born again, but I'm, I'm glad that God is gonna bring an end to it. As vinegar, vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy man to those who send him. <laughs> they taste bad and they look bad. <laughs> That's just, don't you love the Bible? You know, you take some vinegar. Now, you can cook with vinegar and make it taste good, right, ladies? And, and nobody does that better than you Kenyan women. I, I fell in love with vinegar when I moved to Kenya. Some of those, uh, is it called kachambari? Vinegar is in that, right? It's so good. But if you just take the plain vinegar and do this, it's, it's gross. Or you get smoke in your eyes. You're like, oh, no. When lazy people come around... It's like that. It's like, uh, And you guys, some of you who work in the workforce, when that lazy person shows up to work, you're like, ah, uh, I'm gonna have to work for them. They're not pleasant. Don't be that person. When you walk in a room, people should be blessed, pleased. The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. We've talked about that before. That's a big subject, but we've talked about it. Let me just finish this chapter. The hope of the righteous will be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Once again, the wicked, their days are numbered. The way of the Lord is strength for the upright, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. Once again, iniquity, wickedness, it will come to an end. Destruction will be their end. The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not inhabit the earth. You know, I think about the righteous will never be removed. We see some of, we see glimpses of this on earth. Let me finish the, and then I'll end with what I was just going to say. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut out. I can't wait till perverse tongues no longer can talk. God will remove them. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. So this idea, the righteous will never be removed. You know, you think about even our church's testimony when TMT moved in. And many of you weren't here when TMT moved here. You were over there and then you came over here later. Guys, when they first came here, these Thursday night Bible studies were miserable the last 20, 30 minutes. Some of you remember. Eric, you remember that? they're interrupting the word of God. They start, we'd have to send Franco over or somebody over but turn it down. Sometimes they turn it even up higher because they were, you know. And I think about these guys, I was so angry with them. Oh man, I would get so mad. I would joke around about burning it down from the pulpit. And guys, it was half joking. I wanted to burn them down. I had fantasies about painting my skin black because and, and in the middle of the night coming to TNT and firebombing that sucker. I really did. I had fantasies about going over to that DJ and actually hurting him. It, they, they made me so mad. But I, I, know in, I know in Romans 12, it says vengeance belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to me, so I had to rest in that they're shut down. They've been removed. They couldn't even pay their rent and they're in court with the owner of, and the the owner of this land is the owner of both lands. This one acre is one plot. They had half and we had half. And that owner called me a couple weeks ago and he says, hey, do you want to take that extra land? I'm in court with TMT and they're no longer welcome. I'm thinking the, the the wicked will be removed and the righteous will stand. Isn't that cool? He wants us to take the land. He should have he should have given us that land before because now we got other land. And I think you know, if a church is doing right, God is in control. He'll. Rem- he doesn't he won't ever allow us to be removed until he wants us to be removed. And he wanted them to be removed and not us, and I'm thankful for that. All right, take this wisdom from the scriptures and apply it to your life. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for every single person who's come out to receive it tonight. I pray you bless them for it, Lord. Pour your spirit out upon all of us. We love you. We're grateful. Lord please forgive me for for my heart's wickedness at times wanting to burn stuff and I, but I do thank you Lord for your forgiveness I thank you for your grace I thank you for your word tonight such a big subject on so many different subjects so it's only a work of your spirit that can really cause us to take all that has been said from your word and apply it. And I pray you would give each one of us that supernatural strength that we need in, the, in this world. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.